You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. It's always agonizing when uh, the market corrects so quickly and so violently. You know, the last time we saw this was in the financial crisis, 2008-2009. There was another big correction in uh, after the dot-com bubble that burst in 2000. You know, I've seen a few of these in my career, and they're and they're heart-wrenching, and they obviously have have, have terrible impacts on your your net worth if you are long. Uh, you have to be courageous though, and, and realize that when things go down so much, they're also going to likely bounce back up. They they typically do this, and I don't see why this is going to be a a different situation today. So it's it's absolutely a fabulous buying opportunity right now, especially anything with gold attached to it, because gold has such fabulous fundamentals today, uh, probably the best that I've seen in my entire career. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in today. Well, my guest today needs no introduction if you focus at all in investing in the natural resource sector and mining stocks. I'm talking about mining entrepreneur, Ross Beatty. He's a geologist, a resource entrepreneur, has over 45 years experience in international minerals and renewable energies industry. He is the founder and chairman of Pan America Silver, and he's also the chairman of Equinox Gold Corp. Thank you to Luminex Resources for sponsoring today's show. Uh, You can find Luminex on the stock market in Toronto under the ticker LR. And in New York, you can find it under the ticker LUMIF. Luminex is part of the Lumina Group, which has an excellent track record of value creation, having raised U.S. $290 million, which they subsequently turned into $1.6 billion returned to investors through the sale of its companies. Luminex currently has a 4 million ounce Condor Gold project in Ecuador, and this is located about 30 kilometers south of Lunding Gold's Fruta del Norte high-grade gold mine. Luminex just announced a very impressive step-out hole there at the Condor project, which measured 28.1 meters of true width, grading 3.12 grams per ton gold and 68.2 grams per ton silver. So this already large gold resource looks like it's going to continue to grow. To learn more, go to luminexresources.com. That is luminexresources.com. So, Ross, I welcome you back onto the show. We were able to meet in person briefly at the Sprott Conference last year. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. And how about we start with you giving a little commentary on Luminex Resources? I I can see that you own about 20% of the company. What are your thoughts on the advancement of this Condor project and why you launched Luminex Resources? Well, thanks, Bill, and it's a delight to be on your program again. Uh, It's kind of a quiet day, of course. We're all self-isolating right now with this COVID-19 virus problem that's afflicting the globe and uh so i've got lots of time <laughs> i'll be here as long as you want me to <laughs> um so it's just talking about luminex specifically uh, I, I mean i have to say it's a spin-out company from the original gold company called lumina gold uh, lumina gold went into ecuador back in 2015 i think it was and acquired a big gold deposit called cangrejos and 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 also a whole bunch of other exploration ground and then another company so it, it had a whole multiplicity of assets in Ecuador. Um, uh, and for the first two or three years, it really just focused on exploration of the Cangrejos deposit. And it turned into a real winner. It, it, it started with a resource of a couple of million ounces. And today, Lumina Gold has a, has a deposit at Cangrejos that's 17 million ounces of gold. It's in a resource uh, category. I mean, it's a giant deposit uh, right on surface. And it, it, it's a beautiful thing. So, 
So because the whole business plan of Lumina and the Lumina Group has always been to acquire these big or discover these big gold deposits or, or mineral deposits, the original Lumina Group was copper, uh, Lumina Gold was gold, discover big gold deposits and then add value through the exploration and the feasibility stage uh, of, of economic work de-risk these deposits and sell them to big companies that want to build big mines on them. That's always been the business plan of the company. So uh, consistent with that, Lumina spent, has spent five years exploring, four or five years exploring this deposit, doing a lot of economic studies, and it's now ready to sell the company or sell the deposit to, to, a, uh, to a major company. And in order to kind of uh, make it simpler to sell, a couple of years ago, Lumina spun out Luminex as a, as a, as a, and it, and it, it was a share, share for share exchange to all of the Lumina shareholders. They all got a proportionate number of shares in Luminex. I forget exactly when it was done. It was done like the end of 2018, I think. And uh, that cleaned up Lumina Gold to the extent that Lumina Gold only had one deposit, Cangrejos, and it could cleanly be sold to a third party without any other asset going along with it that the, that the buyer would get basically for free. So everything else went into Luminex. Uh, what Luminex had or has is it has a large portfolio of exploration assets in Ecuador. Uh, it has a big gold deposit called Condor, which has a large gold resource on it in the southeast corner of, of Ecuador. And it has a major new discovery called the Camp Zone. And the camp zone is the announcement that Luminex made today, uh, its latest draw results on the camp zone. And it's particularly exciting for me because Luminex is just full of assets. It's full of exploration properties, any one of which could become, uh, could, could create a, a, you know, a, a tenfold increase in the value of Luminex, any one of which. And there's probably, you know, there's five or 10 different, different, different properties in Luminex. So it's just pregnant with value. What it, doesn't have is it doesn't have um, any quantification of, of the value of any of these things through economic studies like preliminary economic assessments or feasibility studies or anything else. So we can't say to investors tangibly, this particular deposit is worth you know $600 million or $800 million. And here's all the economics as to why we cannot show yet to analysts that yes, this is likely to be an economic deposit. This has got you know these values and, and these costs, and this is the net value. But that's coming. Um, it just is, to me, it's, it's, you've got so many shots of big, big uh, value creators in this company that it's, it's, it was a very easy thing for me to participate in. And I think I'm now the largest shareholder at 20%. Uh, I, I would buy the stock every day if I could. It's, it's just a really, really great exploration speculation with multiple assets, any one of which could give you a multiple of where the stock is trading at today. So it's cheap, well-managed. It's got enough capital to, to, to follow its business plan for the year. You know, those are all things, the things I look for, for an excellent speculation. And Lumina Gold has that in spades. Lumina X has that, I would say, even more. 
So that's that's why I'm an investor. Your business plan is to uh, discover, develop, and then divest these projects. When it comes to Lumina Gold yep. and the 17 million ounce gold deposit there, uh, you made a pretty bold statement in January. I was in the room at uh, VRIC when you said your intention was to sell this deposit this year. What more can you share with the market regarding that? And as an entrepreneur, how can you make something like that happen? Sure. Well, this is not uh, going to surprise anybody. This is something we've been saying all along for years. The business plan of Lumina Gold has been to develop this deposit, uh, move it along into a large resource, explore it as far as we can, uh, add, de-risk it, get land figured out, get, get all the land put together, uh, the tidal situation cleaned up, the uh, metallurgy figured out, the economic studies to demonstrate its value, and we've done all of that. So. We could explore. It's wide open. We could add another 5 million ounces to it, I'm sure. But it doesn't add much to the net present value of these things if you just keep finding more and more and more low-grade ounces that you're going to mine after you're 30. You know, we have a potential mine plan here of producing, you know, three or 400,000 ounces a year, you know, for decades. And, and so the way the economics work, when you, when you discount a, the future value of, of cash, it, if, if you if you discover ounces that you're only going to mine 20 or 30 years from now, it doesn't have much present value. So we said, okay, we've got enough to demonstrate to a major mining company that it's a huge deposit. It's going to, it's going to give them, it's going to be a tier one deposit. And they're, uh, it's time now to show it to these companies and say, okay, who, who's interested in taking this on? Uh, so we're doing that right now. And uh, we're doing it in just the usual way that we've done this in, in all the other six companies we sold in the Lumina Group. We're, we're showing it uh, quietly to people. We're saying we're interested. If you're interested in, in, in taking the company over, we'd be willing to talk to you. Uh, if we don't get any interest, we'll just keep exploring it, keep developing it ourselves at this point in time. Obviously, the, uh, the gold market is strong right now. Uh, however, the COVID crisis is, is hammering a lot of companies and making things very uncertain today. So we certainly can't guarantee to any investor that we're going to sell the company. It's very much going to depend on interest and then, of course, price. And, and uh, I'll say one thing, we have no interest in selling it at today's price to anybody. So that's, that, uh, uh, we, we won't, <laughs> I think you can take that off the table right now. It would only be at a, at a significant premium to today's, to today's price. Um, so it's in progress and uh, it's, um, it's, a, it's kind of a conventional situation where we're, like I said, we're talking to a bunch of people. Uh, we're also looking at places where we can continue to add, to add value to the deposit. And there's, there's a multiple, uh, a multiplicity of areas there, but basically we're not going to develop it ourselves. It's got a large capital cost, eight or $900 million, I think is the last estimate we made. And that's more than we want to tackle ourselves. So we'd like to turn this over to a large company to develop it. Ross, in the last two weeks, as you know, we've seen uh, extreme volatility in the markets. I've had, even in my own portfolio, I don't know how many, um, uh, cease tradings in the last just couple days, both on the way down and then today, a couple times on the way up. So there's uncertainty, there's this volatility. How do you handle that both as a mining executive and also as an investor in your own portfolio? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's always agonizing when uh, the market corrects so quickly and so violently. You know, the last time we saw this was in the financial crisis, 2008, 2009. There was another big correction in uh, after the dot-com bubble that burst in 2000. You know, I've seen a few of these in my career, and they're and they're heart wrenching, and 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 you know, they obviously have have, have terrible impacts on your on your uh, your net worth if you are long a lot of things. 
you have to be courageous though and, and realize that when things go down so much, they're also going to likely bounce back up. They, they typically do this and I don't see why this is going to be a, a different situation today. So it's, it's absolutely a fabulous buying opportunity right now, especially anything with gold attached to it because gold has such fabulous fundamentals today. Uh, probably the best that I've seen in my entire career. And, and you're seeing that in, in the price action of gold this week. Um, so, and I just think it's going to be, it's just going to continue as, as governments continue to flood the market with liquidity, uh, devaluing the value of paper money. People are going to put some of their money into gold as a long-term store of value and it's, it's, uh, it's price will go up. So anything with gold in it is, is likely to be good. So I don't worry too much. I've got a lot of my own personal net worth uh, tied up with Pan American silver a silver mining company and gold. I've got Equinox Gold, uh, Pure Gold Mining Company, and of course, Lumina Gold and Luminax are my other big investments. And, and you know, I just feel very, very solidly that, that gold is going to do well and anything that has gold in the ground or gold in production will also do well. Uh, it's not maybe going to be uh, the first thing that, that, that comes out of the gate because when people sell, they sell everything. But now I think you're seeing quite a nice run in, uh, in, uh, in precious metals companies. So I, I don't agonize too much. I try to seek opportunity when other people seek fear. That's when I want to be buying. And of course, the opposite is true, too. Um, it's maybe not the best time for us to be selling aluminum gold. And in fact, if we can't get the price we want, we won't sell it. We won't. Uh, we'll keep it and we'll wait for a time when there's more appetite for these kind of, of companies. Uh, but we think there's enough appetite this year that we'll be successful, and that's that's the business plan. As we talk, there's a number of mines around the world that have shut down due to the COVID-19 crisis, which has also kind of initiated a financial crisis that we're in the midst of. Do you see the potential for a long-term disruption this year, and how might that, in a worst-case scenario, affect the mining industry? Well, it's kind of uh, it's a double-edged sword, really. You have... Um, the loss of production from mining companies hurts those mining companies for a short term. The term being dependent on how long this crisis is going to last. Is it going to be a month? Is it going to be six months? Nobody really knows. I don't think it's going to go beyond six months. Uh, and then it's going to bounce back beautifully. Mines will reopen and it'll be back to normal. Uh, but at the same time, as you lose production across the board, we're losing iron ore production, coal production, copper production, gold production, as these mines have to shut down when countries say, you know, we're shutting down, uh, get into your homes and stop the spread of this thing. Well, if you lose that supply, that usually is good for the price because it means people need to pay higher to get uh, demand that they want. And in particular, in a time when demand goes up, like it's going on right now with gold and supply is going down, usually that has a very good effect on the, on the price. So that helps all companies involved with gold over the medium term. When the mines are running again, the price is up higher, they make more money. It's a good thing. Uh, so I'm, there's a lot of stress right now in companies that have to close their operations. They have to do a lot of management work to, to have orderly shutdowns and put things on care maintenance. And it costs lots of money to do that. And then they have to put more money in when they start up again. But, you know, over the mine life, it's just, I, I suspect it's just going to be a blip and, uh, and something in a year from now, we'll sort of say, oh, well, that was a bad memory, but, but maybe put it in the, in the rearview mirror. Uh, so long-term, it probably won't have too much impact. And so that's what I do. I try to take the long-term view and, and we just sort of muddle through this and, and manage it as best we can. And, uh, you know, every day is a new day. It's a rapidly changing world. 
we just have to manage it as best we can with a good with good people and try to maintain a healthy financial condition, you know, worst case. Even as gold is on the rise, could you foresee if we do have an economic contraction that some of the base metal uh, commodities, the price could go lower and therefore the expected bull market in those commodities could be pushed back a few years? You know, we've just seen that, Bill. We've, we've seen the most massive correction in base metal prices since 2008. I mean, they've been crushed. Copper's below most most mines' cost of production. That's not going to last. It's it's just a blip that'll go back to probably two fifty, two eighty, maybe even three dollars short shortly. When the uh, world stimulus kicks in, when all the fear and the and the and the self uh, isolation is is over, you know the world will get back to business. China's back in business already, and China drives huge amount of metal demand, um, especially for the base metals and the ferrous metals. Uh, so when things return, you're going to see with all this new money pouring into infrastructure projects, trying to get the economies back on, you're going to see a lot of new demand for metals. It's going to be very good for the price of all metals across the board, with the single exception of, well, it'll be good for all metals. But it, it, the only thing that will not improve, I think, is, is oil. I mean, oil is so has been punished so much from too much supply and not enough demand. Uh, I just see that as being a, a, in the penalty box for years to come. But the rest of the sector should do pretty well, looking forward to, say, six months to, to a year. Theoretically, if silver industrial demand doesn't rise over the next few years, but then investor retail demand for silver as for its economic value rises, do you think that we could see something like we saw in tw- um, 2011 just from investor demand in silver? Uh, silver, of course, because it's both a precious metal and an industrial metal, has a foot in each camp. But quite frankly, though, my sort of base case scenario for silver is, is extremely bullish. I think silver has been hurt relative to gold in the last year because its industrial demand has gone down somewhat, driven by less demand from China. China's demand for all metals has come down over the last year or two, and that's hurt every metal that is an industrial metal, including silver. But if you, if you realize where silver's big demand growth is, it's in renewable energy, particularly photovoltaic cells, which is now the largest single use of silver of all. And silver's use as a digital metal because it's the, most, it's the best conductor of electricity and heat of all metals. So it's got fundamental application in digital technology of all kinds. Anything electrical uses silver, electronic uses silver. And I see demand growth rising very significantly, particularly if my scenario of industrial production of all uh, kinds in, in, in Asia and in the rest of the world picking up late, late, late 2020, based on all the stimulus that's going to come back in, very much like happened in 20, you know, 2009 to 2011. So I see silver's industrial demand picking up, but I also simultaneously see silver's demand picking up as, an, as a precious metal following that of gold. So it wouldn't surprise me to proportionally see silver actually outperform gold and all of the base metal complex. I I could see it quite easily in the next 12 months, silver being the the best performing metal of all, seconded by gold, and then after that, probably copper and some of the other metals below that. When you're looking at starting a new mining venture, I believe if I understand the story of Pan American Silver, didn't you start with silver as a commodity and a bullish outlook, and that was kind of the genesis of why you started Pan American Silver? Well, Pan American started because I felt I, I just sold a gold company called Equinox Resources and I wanted to start something new. And I, I, I picked silver because I didn't think there was a single company that offered investors good exposure to silver on the public market space. None. 
at that time. That was 2000 and uh, that was 1994. Uh, so we started Pan American as a custom creative vehicle to give equity investors exposure to silver, uh, pure exposure to silver as a primary silver play. And I thought also that if we worked hard, we could build a real leading, globally leading silver mining company. And no, it was, silver wasn't really in a bullish uh, outlook at that time. Silver was trading around $5 an ounce in, in 1994. And I, I was naive and was very confidently and, and uh, predicting that silver would be, over, would be over $10 by the end of the 1990s. And of course, I was completely wrong. It was actually lower than five dollars by two thousand. It was four, four. I think it bottomed at four hundred three in 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 two thousand in uh, in uh, in two thousand and one. So, you know, I was wrong. But in the meantime, we built a big company, and it's turned out to be uh, a fabulous company. It's now the world's second largest primary silver mining company, and also a very very large gold producer. So it's been a, it's been a lot of fun and a great journey. And we're doing trying to do the same thing with uh, with Equinox Gold to make it into a a world-class, uh, you know, gold major. Uh, and, and we've been going for two years now and we're, I would say we're pretty well on our way. It's, uh, it's going to produce about 600,000 ounces in, in 2020 and we, we should be producing nearly a million ounces by the end of next year. So it's, uh, it, it, it's been a lot of fun. Ross, you've gone through several mining cycles. As you look at the upward phase of um, this expected bull market, what would be some mistakes that you would point out for both executives and investors to avoid? When you go through the school of hard knocks like I have, you make a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes in my very first company, Equinox Resources. But, you know, I do learn from my mistakes and I make new ones. <laughs> so I'm still making new ones like we all do. But I have learned a few things. And one is uh, when you're building a public company and you're giving investors, uh, it's a risky business, an extremely risky business. So you want to have a return outlook that is, is large to offset the risk. Uh, so, you know, don't focus on small projects. They take all the effort of big ones and they just don't give you that upside. Uh, give people a, an opportunity to make triple or quadruple their money not, you know, 15%, 20% return. That's not what we're in business for. Uh, and you only do that by taking a fair bit of risk, but, but you've got to manage your risk. You've got to make sure you've got enough capital to, to, to execute your plans well. You've got to spend your capital on what you say you're going to do because that's how you build trust in your investors. And a lot of investors are very forgiving. If you, if you raise $5 million to drill a bunch of holes and you're unsuccessful in all those holes, but then you find another project that you think might, be just as good to drill, you know, people are likely to give you a second chance because you spent your money as you said you would. But if you go and divert that money to something else, you're never going to get a, another chance to, to raise money from those investors. Uh, you might find other suckers around, but, but you know, investors like people who, say what, who do what they say they're going to do. Uh, investors like trustworthy management, generally speaking. So if you can convey the, uh, the, convey the, uh, the fact that you have a solid management team, you your professional group, uh, you don't tell a whole bunch of stories at a school that aren't, aren't true. You try to promote within the, the, within the, uh, the boundaries of what is, is reasonable, what you can achieve. You know, people will have confidence in you and, and, and bet on you. So uh, having a, a big target, a big focus is important. Be, you know, having a simple focus as well, something you can communicate easily to investors, um, not be too spread out. Uh, it's, it's, all of these things are important. At the end of the day, uh, it's such a risk, risky business that um, I'm really surprised that I've been able to be successful multiple times because, you know, it, 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 it doesn't seem to me to be sort of rocket science how you do these things. 
but I'm always surprised at how few people manage to do it. And, and I, I, I think people take shortcuts. They, uh, Does it come down to ambition? Because that's a question I ask as I've talked to management, because it seems like you could take a mediocre project, put it in the hands of an ambitious, uh, driven executive, and he or she might make something out of it, whereas the next guy couldn't even raise enough money to get through the year. I think there's a lot to be said for that, uh, for sure. I have to say myself, I've, I've been a very uh, driven individual. I, I'm, I'm an old fart now, but I, I have been driven all my life. People who work with me will know that. And, um, you know, I don't, I'm not very patient. I, I like to push on. I think the marks of most good entrepreneurs is that they're, they are very driven. They don't wait for the phone to ring. They pick up the phone and, and, and make things happen themselves, but you can't do anything yourself. You've got to work with really, really good people. You've got to work with a great team of people who can, who can put your ideas and your dreams into action. And, you know, none of these companies can be built with one person. They've all got to involve big teams and it's a matter of hiring good people and, and working well with good people, uh, at the end of the day, they'll drive and, and, uh, and, and energy and enthusiasm is a big part of it for sure. And don't you think as a, I mean, you were able to do what you did because you had that first big win. So it's, isn't that first big win in your younger career uh, kind of necessary to launch the further success that uh, one would have? Oh, for sure. I mean, I had my first big win after having my first hundred big failures. Uh, but I took a, a shotgun approach to my, to, my, to my business where I knew it was, there was such a high risk of failure in an individual exploration project. I had 100 exploration projects going on over the course of four or five years. And bingo, one of them, a, a gold deposit in Nevada, jumped out. And that was the one that made my, made my first fortune. And was, I was able to sell my first company at an all-time high. And every single investor in that company made money. And so it was very easy for me to finance my next company, which is Pan American Silver, uh, which I started with nothing more than a dream. We had a company with no assets, uh, an eight cent share price and, uh, and just an idea, but a, a strong management team and, uh, and a, a friendly and, and willing shareholder base that I could go to and say, this is what I want to do. I've done it before. I want to do it again now. And after that, it was relatively easy. I'd say relatively easy. Believe me, we made a lot of horrible mistakes and wasted a lot of people's money. But, you know, at the end of the day, we, we made a dollar turn into, you know, something more than a dollar. And that, that, that was, uh, that was, that, that's the metric of being successful. Earlier this month at PDAC, Ross, I had some conversations. And there are some that think that uh, in the Western society, in the mining sector, that perhaps ESG issues are being stressed a little too much. Uh, what would be your opinion here? Yeah, I mean, the, the world has moved very much to rewarding companies that look after the environment and their social uh, governance aspects. I, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good that investor world rewards companies who do a good job of looking after their employees, making sure they're healthy and safe, who look after their communities and making sure that they have good relations with communities and share some of the bounty of the, of the natural world that they're, that they're mining. And of course, uh, try to work well with national governments. You know, they're all, we're all kind of partners in this business. And it's important that the proceeds return to, to everybody. At the same time, if you make a mess of your environment, as you mind, then you're not helping anybody at all. In fact, you're hurting the world. So every company that looks after the environment and the, the, their employees and the communities around them, that's all what ESG means. That's it's, 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 just a, it's just an acronym. It just means looking after the other stakeholders around you, not just, your, not just your shareholders. You have to look after your shareholders too, of course. But 
it's very important. And I think uh, every single company should, should pay a lot of attention to it. Uh, it. It's good business. If you do it well, you make more money than companies that don't do it well. If you have, if you have accidents at your mines, if you have environmental spills, you get fined, you have roadblocks, you have all manner of, of, of difficulty with your communities and the local governments. To avoid that, do a good job of mining. Leave the mine better. Leave the mining area better after you leave than, than when you took it over. And there's ways to do that. This is not rocket science. Make sure you don't have tailing spells. Uh, you just have to do it these days. It's a very good thing. I totally support the move towards more environmental and social governance. When I spoke with you at Sprott last summer, your parting advice was don't sell your gold stocks too early because this gold bowl <laughs> has, a, has a ways to run. As we conclude here, any uh, parting wisdom you'd like to leave with my listeners? I'd say the same thing. Uh, don't take 15% off the table just because the stock's gone up 15%. This is a secular move in gold. It's now, I'd say, more like the fourth or even fifth inning, but it's still got a long way to run. I wouldn't be surprised to see gold over $2,000 in the next little while, even maybe by the end of this year. And, uh, and in those sort of runs, when it has a great run, you know, anything with gold in it that you hold a gold junior, a gold intermediate, a gold major is going to have outsized returns and, uh, hang on. But, but don't forget also that it, you know, that when you've had a great return, take some money off the table because, uh, when everybody's biting and everybody's, you know, when the ducks are quacking, you know, there's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of irrational values with some companies, and uh, and that tends to come down to earth um, after a little while. So it's a good thing to take some profits off the table of some of these companies when they do have a good big run. You've been listening to mining entrepreneur Ross Beatty. Ross, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing your insights. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.